you're wearing a sweater that was selected for you by the people in this room from a pile of stuff. Give me a full ballerina skirt and a hint of saloon and I'm on board. Mm. Welcome to the She Became Visible podcast. I'm your host, Renee Steelman. This podcast is my story. It's your story. It's our story. It's all the stories of all the women who one day knew that it was time to remember who they were, who they are, and stand up and be seen. Let's get rid of this me over me face. Go away. Hi, welcome to She Became Visible. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Monday. And if any of you don't like Monday, it's because you're not listening to She Became Visible. Now, I normally broadcast in the morning sometime, but I am very flexible and I always work around my guests. So today my guest is in Canada. Yay. So she, and she actually has like things to do. So we are working around her schedule today. My guest today is Jean Bodie and she was brought to my attention. Um, I found her on Facebook, which again, three cheers for social media. People that are like bad, you know, like social media is horrible and we should all get off social media. It's like, well, welcome to 2023. All right. It's the only way. And with the way people, you know, we just don't live in those communities the way we used to. And so for many of us, it's a way to find friends. And especially at my age, you know, it gets harder and harder the older you get to find a group of like-minded people, especially in the Exmo world, people, women, of my demographic. And, and so I love that Jean and I have found each other. And um, so let me tell you a little bit. I'm just going to tell you a little bit about Jean. And then um, I'm going to bring her on and I'm going to let her tell her own story. But mainly, Jean was in a documentary that was filmed, uh, I don't know, I think it's been a little over seven years ago, seven, eight years ago. And it was broadcast in, um, it was filmed in Canada, I believe. I don't know if any of the people that participated were uh, U.S. citizens, but Gene will fix that if I'm wrong. Um, but it was made by a company called the Ex-Mormon Foundation. And it's a very well done documentary. It's called In the Shadow of the Temple. And um, you've got to watch it. You can find it on YouTube. That's the, again, the glory of social media. Um, you can find it on YouTube and it's beautiful. I, it's, I think it's very well done. And so let me show you a clip of this um, documentary that was made by the Ex-Mormon Foundation in the shadow of the temple. And you will have an opportunity to meet Jean then, and then we will bring her on now and we will have a fabulous conversation. So let me see if I can make this work. Remember, we've done this before together, right? And Renee doesn't always make this work correctly, but let's see what we can do here. Let's see if we can do, 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 do,
And there it is. Okay. Um, and I think there was like a sound problem last time I did this. I'm going to make sure my sound is up. So, all right, let me play this for you. Wait a minute. You know what? I want, I want to do this, but I want to also, I want to also make sure that you can still see me and I'm not sure. It's in my way. Go away. I don't want it to be in my way. Isn't this fun, you guys? Okay, let's try it. I'm just going to play it, if, if, and I think you'll be able to see it. So let's go. Here we go. Okay. I think I needed to push share, but whatever. Anyway, let's bring Jean on and she can continue telling her story. Um, because I, I think it's, I love, I love that her husband, Jim said, I don't know why Jean 
doesn't see this or doesn't feel this. So here we go, guys. Welcome. Thank you. Hello. Me, there we go. There we go. Welcome, Jean. That was, I, I, I don't know what you all saw. Well, someday someone will show me how to do this correctly. But um, Jean, you, you, we showed a clip from the documentary and you talked about how it, I started out by showing Jim and how his first experience in the temple, he was a little bit like, get me out of here. This is crazy. And, um, and then he had this spiritual feeling that just overcame him. And that overshadowed absolutely everything else from that point on in his life. And he couldn't understand why you had never had that feeling and why you couldn't go along with his feelings. So talk, and, and then you went on to talk a little bit about your conversion. So talk about your conversion and talk about the feelings, right? It's all about the feelings. Yes, it's all about the feelings. First of all, though, I need to clarify something. The film that you showed in the shadow of the temple, mm -hmm. like I, 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 you've told me about the clip with Jim, but that film wasn't made by um, Ex-Mormon Foundation. It was made oh. by Pepita Productions, a private production company, not members of the church. They, they found out about people, you know, leaving and they just wanted to find out more and do a documentary. So it was filmed in the U.S. too. And when I was at an ex-Mormon Foundation conference, I... Uh, was invited to go with a friend that I'd made online who was in the film to go and view what they'd made already and give our feedback on it. What were they representing our feelings correctly and that sort of thing. So I went and um, you know gave some feedback and then somebody came to find me to say, will you be part of the production? Will you come on and tell your story? So I did. So it was Dennis Lavery and I'm having a really hard time remembering the name of the lady that was with him. But there were the two of them. And so they flew up here after asking Jim if he would take part in the documentary, too. So I didn't get to see anything that Jim said or hear it. I went out of the way because I wanted him to feel free to yes. say what he wanted. So when it was shown at the Ex-Mormon Foundation, that was the first time I'd seen it. Um, and um, I, there was a sigh, like a, a collective sigh that came out of the mouths of all the attendees there when they heard him say, I don't know what it's going to be like when we get there or whatever. You know, things are right. things might not be we, we, none of us. We might find out that none of us are right or something to that effect. Right. And everybody felt this feeling of relief that a member of the church that didn't agree with them would say, we don't really know, you know, I don't know what it's going to be like. So mm. um, I was I was amazed, actually, that he said it because he was such a faithful member. I just I was just surprised and I was really teary because yeah. I, w I was just pleased that he had come along that far, that he right. wasn't saying, I'm right, you're wrong, you need to come back. In fact, he never did that to me. I ever. see. I so, see. Interesting. I'm glad you clarified that because I on the it, on the YouTube it shows Ex Mormon Foundation, but they probably posted it on YouTube. And but you're right in the very beginning it does show the production company, so that makes sense. So I'm glad you clarified that. So so just to, to start out, 
start out before you tell your conversion story, just let us know currently where you're at and where Jim is at as far as membership in the church or beliefs in the church. So where do you both stand at this point? Okay, so Jim is not an active member, but he hasn't resigned his membership. Okay. And um, I have resigned membership. I did that very quickly. Once I discovered the things that you know, threw me for a loop and I realized that it was the truth that I was hearing now, then I went, okay, I can't do this anymore. I just can't do it. I can't be untrue to myself. Right. And so I have to leave, even if it's going to upset him and my family, which I knew it would, except that my son had left first. And it was it was through him that I uh, decided that I needed to look into it a little bit deeper. When, when he left, I invited him and his wife to come over to find out what their problem was and uh, to see if I could solve it for yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And so um, I would look up um, things online and eventually I started to realize that this is this is just, sorry, bullshit. Yeah. You know, I've just bought into a big con and I was devastated, absolutely devastated. In fact, at one of the uh, conferences, one of the ex-Mormon conferences, um, when one of the speakers was talking, he mentioned about we, that we no longer have our spouses for eternity, you know, that we've had to realize that. And he said something about the beautiful dream that wasn't true. Oh. And, oh, man, I just burst into tears. And I had my arm resting across the back of the seat beside me. And a young man sitting behind took my hand and kissed it. It's the sweetest thing. There is so much support in the yeah. ex-Mormon community. We're not bad people. We're not anti-Mormons. Right. You know, and we still love our Mormon friends. Right. It's the church that we have problems with, not the people. Right. I love the people. Yeah. It's it's it, exactly right. It's the system and it's the um the deceit and the betrayal that I I do. Have a, I was exactly like you. Once I found out church history, which I had no idea about, I didn't even bother. I, I, you know, when you're a busy young, you know, when you're 20 years old and you're having children and, and you've just gotten married and you're trying to make a marriage work and you're trying to make a home work and, and you're trying to be as faithful as you can, you, in my case, I just didn't have time or the interest to look into all of this. I had babies to take to church and get ready. And so when I found church history, which I always find it amazing when people are like, well, don't read that anti-Mormon literature. And I mean, like, you mean the Joseph Smith papers? You mean the history of the church books? You mean uh, the diaries that were written by women? Uh, it's, no, it's not like I'm on Rolling Stone. You know, I'm not in the Rolling Stone magazine reading articles. You know, I'm not in Newsweek reading articles. I'm, I didn't get this from the Times magazine or, the, you know, the New York Times newspaper. It, it's, it's like they don't understand because they as well, people of the church have also never heard this. And because they've never heard it, they think you must be getting it from some outside source. Because I've never heard that. They've never taught that at conference. I've never heard that in Sunday school. Where are you getting this? You must be getting this from some evil satanic newspaper. 
And it's like, no, no, I got it from LDS.org, okay, or whatever they're calling it now. Uh, I think now you have to type in the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints.org or something like that. But I got it from the church's information. I got it from diaries written by women who were multiple wives of Joseph Smith. That's where we're getting it. And they don't believe you. They'll say, I don't believe that. I'm like, well, I didn't, I would probably, I didn't either at times when people would say something, I'd go, oh, that's not true. Um, but when you start hearing it read from church history, then you go, oh, crud. So I, but isn't that funny that as women, and not all women, but you and I, um, I very quickly wanted to distance myself because I felt as though there was such deceit and there was such patriarchy and misogyny and um, homophobia. I didn't want to be associated. I didn't want anyone to look at me and go, oh, you're a homophobic uh, polygamous woman who doesn't have, have a brain and you only do what your husband tells you to do. I didn't want to be looked at like that. Yes. So I'm like, get me out of this club. I mean, I know I didn't want to be a member of this any more than I wanted to be a member of um, the Ku Klux Klan or any other, you know, kind of horrible Nazism. I didn't want to be associated with a group of people that hated women, um, hated black people, that hated um, homophobia, you know, um, um, Gay, you know, gay, gay, yeah, gay and lesbian. I don't yeah. want to be associated with that. And I understand the idea that you can't make a change from the outside, that you can make a change maybe better from the inside. Maybe that's true, although, you know, they try to excommunicate as many as they can. But anyway, I'm talking way too much. Um, so thank you for clarifying that. And thank you for 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 finding me on Facebook so that I could find another woman my age who also went through the temple when we were bowing our heads and promising to obey our husbands, promising to do nothing but have children, um, you know, told that we had no other purpose but that to be mothers and that that would be our, our celestial joy for time and all eternity. And, and um, like Nemo points out, the wonderful thing about, um, are you familiar with Nemo the Mormon? Do you follow oh, him at all? Yeah. Yes. Okay, that's well, he's English, of course you would. Um, you know, but I love that he says, you know, that the, the greatest gift of Mormonism is the gift of gaslighting. And um, that someday, now that they've changed the standards for youth pamphlet, now that they're no longer saying, well, you can't get a tattoo, we don't really want you to, but you can if you want to, but that we, you know, that in a few years they'll be going, they never said that, we never taught that. What are you talking about? We never said women should stay home and have children. We never said that you should have more than two children. Where are you getting that? And so, and everybody will be looking at us like, we never bowed our heads and said, obey our husbands. What are you talking about? So the change, but you do, because you were there. You and I were there. So we don't. I was there and I was there um, in England when the missionaries came to my door with the pamphlet for t uh, uh, what did they call it? Just one second. I've got it on a um, Word document. Is it okay? Can you still see me? I can. Yeah. Okay. So it's um, that document that Bill put out, Bill Bill Real and RFM, uh -huh. about a systematic teaching thing for right. um, investigators. Uh -huh. So um, I I copied it. Um, because I was looking for it for a long time, because this is the system that I was taught under. Right. And so when I found it, I went, okay, I'm going to copy and paste that. And I'm going to put my own thoughts in there and say, what, what is wrong with that? 
Um, and I think it was it was really a gaslighting thing then. Right. And so so I just want to tell you about about that. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. Talk about that, because I think, like you say, the gaslighting that says we never taught that or we never said that or that that was just scuttlebutt amongst members. It really was never a policy or a doctrine. So tell tell us that story. It's more about the way the method that they use to teach you. It's um, it's almost a brainwashing technique that they use when when they get you to answer with ideas rather than questions and things like that. You know, they've got a lot of um, uh, ways to manipulate how you feel and what your answers are. And then they tell you that if you feel this, that's the Holy Ghost telling you it's true mm -hmm. and all of those kinds of things. So I need to go back. I need to go back to the fact that I was born in England, as we've established. And that was in 1944. So it was during the very last year of um, World War Two. And um, after the war, it was it was tough. We were in a state of deprivation. You know, um, English people didn't have much. And we had rations for a long time. Like, I think I was 10 when I was still popping down to the shop mom and I had to have a ration coupon for that and everything was different than it is in America right. and the church wasn't the Mormon church it was the Church of England when we referred to the church which Mormons do all the time mm -hmm. as though there is only one church you know? <laughs> and we did that and it was the Church of England right. that was our church and right. at school we had religious education and it was based on Church of England teachings. So that's what I grew up with, this thing. And I loved God and I believed in him. I believed in Jesus. We didn't learn much in the way of doctrinal things, but we learned the stories from the Bible. And so I became a very magical thinker because that's what the Bible is. Talking donkeys, a guy in a whale's belly for three days and, you know, building a tower to get to heaven. All of that stuff is sounds very magical. Right. I realize it's mythology. It was people trying to come to terms with the world and the way that it was and the way that we feel. Um, but nevertheless, it was um, it was a really. Um, I, I, I've lost my train of thought. Almost magical. It was it was a magical out of body type, you know, myth, mystical thing that you could grab onto, right? Yeah, and I loved it. Yeah. I loved it. It was it was wonderful to me. There wasn't any doctrine. There weren't really many rules, and like most of the people that I knew, um, by the time they got engaged to somebody to be married, they were in a sexual relationship with that person, you know, and nobody was looking down on them. The church wasn't saying, oh, you can't get married here and all that kind of thing. So it was a totally different lifestyle and a totally different church. And I loved it. But so this is what happened. My second son was born. And um, I was working out in my front yard and he was sitting up in his baby carriage and um, the minister from the Church of England walked past and he stopped and said hello. And then he asked me, has that baby been christened yet? And I said, no. And the interesting thing is the week before I'd had an argument with my mother because she said, you need to get that baby christened. 
And I said, why? And she said, well, it's so that um, he can be buried on consecrated ground if he dies. And I said, well, he's not going to die. <laughs> you know. And, and anyway, I could bury him in my backyard. That would be consecrated yeah. to me. Yeah. Um, and so when the, when the minister came by and said that, my magical thinking brain, I was 23 years old. Mm -hmm. I went, wow, maybe God sent this minister to do this, you know? And so I got my baby baptized and um, we had a little get together and everything was wonderful. And it was only two months later that the missionaries knocked on the door. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And so I'm like, hmm, you know, God is trying to get me back, you know, like, because when you're a teenager, you sort of drift away from going to church in my right. culture, you know, right. you kind of right. do, but, um, <laughs> so uh, bring me back again, memory well, loss. Yeah. So, so you're thinking, well, I must be really special. I mean, there's this divine intervention The first the church Absolutely. of England and now, now God is like, okay, we got one thing down here. Step number two. Jean, listen to me. I got a, I got a plan for your life. That's Go, right. girl. Yeah. So when, when I was in the Church of England, when I was 12, I was um, confirmed. And, you know, you get the white veil and the white dress and all that stuff. And it's, a, so it's, it's kind of a, a, a Catholicism almost break. It's like a, well, you a know, milder I mean, form. The Church of England. Yeah. It's like Catholicism light is what the uh, Church of England is, you okay. know? Yeah. <laughs> So diet Catholicism, <laughs> no sugar added. Yeah. But when I, you have to have an interview from your vicar minister uh, before you get uh, confirmed. And so he sat and visited with me and asked me what I planned for my future. Did I have any dreams and goals and that sort of thing? And this was a time when television had just started, really. It wasn't very long since we'd had a TV. And I had seen that show, In of the Six Happiness, I think is what it was called. And it was about Gladys Aylwood, if I'm getting my facts correct here. But anyway, she, she was a missionary in China. And she was wonderful. She did so many wonderful things. I wanted to be like her. I just wanted to be this person or Florence Nightingale. Mm -hmm. You know, I wanted to be a nurse. I just wanted to do something for people. Right. Make the world a better place. I just had such a desire to do that. So I told him and he said, well, you might change your mind about a few things as you get a little bit older. But, you know, it's a worthy goal or something like that. Right. So when the missionaries came, I'll go back to that and finish this story. But. When they taught me and I became a member of the true church, um, I wanted to go on a mission still. And so I waited for all those years and then we raised our kids and then Jim and I went on a mission and we went to guess where, exactly where I told him I wanted to go, Africa. Oh, another sign. That's what I told my minister. I want to, I want to go to Africa and be a missionary. Yeah. And I got called to go to Africa. Well, I know darn well that our bishop had something to do with that. He'd been in South Africa on his couple's mission with his wife. And he knew I wanted to go. So they put it in that way. So sure. we got to go to South Africa. But yeah. at the time, I didn't see it that way. This was God yeah. intervening because 
he he knew that I was supposed to go on a mission. I'd known since I was a little girl that I was going to go to Africa on a mission. Right. So that's, that's just to show you what a magical thinker I was. Right. So when the missionaries were teaching me, I recall when they told me the story of Joseph Smith going, that sounds like a fairy story, you know, like it, like, it, but, but I had grown up on stories of Jonah right. and Ark and all of that stuff. So even though it seemed like a fairy story, it was still believable to right. me. And, and now, because they taught me that um, my church was the harlot daughter of the whore of all the earth, which was the Catholic church. That's what they taught me. And I yeah. was like, really? You know, I, I didn't know that the Catholic church was in the Bible as the whore of all the earth, but that's yeah. what they're teaching me, right? Yeah. So, so the Catholic church is the whore of the earth, as, as Bruce R. McConkie would let us all know. And we all yeah. raised our right hand and said yes. Um, then the Church of England would have been the little daughter the, yes. of, of the whore. Okay. She was a harlot. You know, she's just, you know, part of the, the, the uh, group. Okay. All right. Yeah. All so, right. so now I've, I'm faced with the chance to belong to Jesus's true church, not belong to the harlot daughter. I could, I could still love God. I could still love Jesus. And I could be in the church that he had restored to the earth. And so I wanted it. I wanted it so badly because I wanted to be right with God. And I, as, a, as a youngster, I'd done a few things that were <laughs> naughty to put Nor it. Normal, but yes, yeah. Well, even maybe some abnormal, but, <laughs> but you know, I hadn't been like a wonderful child that never did anything wrong yeah. or anything. So yeah. I wanted to to get rid of my sins and, and be whole and perfect and wonderful. And the day of my baptism, I was just, I just, I felt like I was walking on cloud nine. Uh, it was just absolutely wonderful to belong to Jesus's true church. Well, and, and it gives you that elitism. It gave you that you know, every step that that came about before your baptism was showing you how elite and special you were, that that you had been plucked from the outside, the horror uh, congregation and made and brought into God's fold, that you right. were special. And now you had a church that was the best. And now you were part of the best. And so who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want to think that they're number one? Right. And that now you're part of the, yeah. I mean, that's just kind of a subtle 144,000. I don't, I I'm don't, yeah, right. I don't think that I, I thought I was very special at the time, really, because it was so hard to be a Mormon in England. Oh, that's true. Yeah. So I, I didn't feel that specialness that you would feel in Utah or, or, or in the States or up here, even in Canada because it was just so hard to be a Mormon. You were one in like a million, I don't know. Like the, there was hardly any members of the church. Yeah, but didn't that make you more special because you're not drinking tea and you're not smoking and everybody else in 1950 something is smoking. Everybody in England is smoking, you know, but you're not. After a while, that part 
came around, right? Okay. I, I joined the church in 1967. Okay. And, um, a lot years. Yeah. yeah. And, and when I got to Canada, then, well, yeah, I, was in, I was in Connecticut at first. Oh. Um, but when, when I came to America, it was like, then I started to feel that special thing. It oh, just really? gradually happened. But it was when I moved to Edmonton that I felt it more. And then I was shattered when I went to church because I was a single mom, because I had left my first husband oh. and I'd come out um, to Canada, to Edmonton with my three children. And um, single women don't, divorced women don't do very well. And I was a fairly attractive young woman, you know, yeah. and so I'm in the ward now and I'm 28 years old and people are looking at me like, oh yeah, hmm. you know, you're a threat. Yes. <laughs> in fact, when, when I met Jim and after we got engaged, there was, there was a lady in the ward that I talked to quite regularly. And, um, I, I said to her on the Sunday, I, I, I just held out my ring. Yeah ring yeah 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 and, I, and I, I said to her guess what and she said he's too good for you <gasps> was, oh, oh yeah it was awful it was so awful to have her say that to me he's too good for you and um so I felt like he was because he was a Mormon he'd been a Mormon all of his life so he hadn't done the things that I'd done he hadn't lived the same lifestyle and you know that that stuff gets in the way of well and then like you say this is the 60s and you know you were a divorcee which yes. was already frowned upon you had baggage and you were worn out you were a licked cupcake right so yes. you know yeah. it's like he deserves better he deserves a virgin he deserves someone that was a member of the church <laughs> her whole life and this is what you're told you go on a mission this is what you'll get. And, and what are you doing? Damaged goods here. So, oh my gosh. Yeah. And that, that was how I felt. Yeah. Like damaged goods. So I had to prove my worth. Mm -hmm. I really had to prove my worth. Wow. And um, it was, it was tough because Jim's such an, uh, a faithful member. He was such a faithful member and he, he was working with as the executive secretary. So he was with the state presidency and stuff. So I'm on show uh. with these people. So I, I want to, you know, do everything that I'm supposed to do. And then he was bishop. And so he was sitting up on the stand and I'm down there with the children and uh, just feeling like I'm, I'm being watched. Oh. So do you remember that show called The Gong Show? Yes. Yeah. So we had a, a party with a bunch of friends from church and they, they held that game, The Gong oh, yeah. Show. Yeah. And we didn't know beforehand. I don't think we did anyway. And Jim is shy. He is not like me. Yeah. He's not outgoing. He doesn't talk all the time like me. And so, so um, I said to him, okay, let's work together on this one then. So you be my horse and I'll ride in on you. You know, you had to come in on all fours. And yeah. there was this stupid song that my friend had taught me years ago. I don't know if you ever heard it. It goes, he was saying goodbye to his horse. He was saying goodbye to his horse. And as he was saying goodbye to his horse, he was saying goodbye to his horse. 
<laughs> and then you go through it and you just cry more and more. So it didn't get very far before we got gonged out, right? <laughs> but one of the um, brothers that was there said that I had demeaned him <gasps> by riding in on his back. And we were just playing a game. Oh, we, we were, he wasn't the bishop at the party. He was yeah. Jim at the party. Yeah. And your husband. husband. Yeah. yeah. But I had demeaned him. And so over the years, you know, I I just tried really, really hard to to be a different person. When um when we would go out to visit his mom and dad, they lived in British Columbia in the Okanagan. It's beautiful there. And it's hot. And so lots of beaching, big lake. And um when, when we would arrive after the long drive, it took us about 10 to 12 hours to drive out there. So we'd be just pushed. So the kids always wanted to go down to the lake and have a nice refreshing swim. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so I went skinny dipping with them. <laughs> and, you know, this isn't something that Mormons do, but this is part of, this is the other gene from yeah. before yeah. that is coming back into my head and going, you like that. That's fun. Yeah. Why do you have to do everything that you're told? You're not showing off your body. It's right. dark when you get there. It's dark. You're yeah. at the beach. You go in the lake. And so we would take off our swimsuits in the water. Yeah. So we weren't showing anything. Put our towels near the edge. And then we could just kind of almost crawl up on your belly and grab your towel and that kind of thing. So yeah. we weren't, and there weren't other people there, you know. Right, right. Nobody was seeing our naked bodies. But... I, I remember going, oh, that was a bit risque, wasn't it, to do that? And it, it's as if it's as if you are, and I wonder if Gina, I wonder if that's why you and I were able to so quickly click click that yes. light switch and say, we're not doing this because we came from a different culture. I mean, I didn't, I'm not seven generation Mormon. I didn't right. come from Utah. I came from the Midwest Methodist, like, you know, like you, where we, we were raised, we said grace oh, at every meal. Oh, yeah. One, one of them. Yeah. And, you know, and Jesus with God were a big part of my family, but no rules. We didn't have, I wore, you know, sunsuits as a child. I didn't, yeah. I, I wasn't raised in that even little babies can't show their shoulder mentality. Oh, no. And so you're always this person that is trying to transform their body. And it's not culturally you, it's not innately you, it's not a genetically you. It's just this other person that you're trying to do, do that you're trying to do to, to make sure you fit in so that you can fit in. And so I guess that's why these people that, that have such a hard time saying, look, I'm seven generation Mormon. I'll always be Mormon no matter what. That's who I am. And I and I have a, and I had a, what do you mean? That's who you are now. Like you say, it's who you were. And yes. you weren't, cult, you know, you weren't culturally brought up to be to think this was wrong or to, you know. So interesting. Yeah. That's fascinating. When when you uh, left your first husband, was the church involved in that at all? Were you a member and he wasn't? No, we both joined when the missionaries oh, came. Oh, okay. I think I applied a ton of pressure to him to join. Okay. Yeah. Because uh, I wanted it so badly and I wanted it to be true. And I wanted things to be better between us. Right. And he was a drinker. Oh. And when he drank, he got very angry a lot of times. So there was, you know, bad yeah. stuff that happened. And I wanted him to feel better. And 
not do that anymore, you know? Right. And, and so the word of wisdom was part of the whole package, right? And so that would mean he wouldn't be drinking anymore. And so that was a, that was a draw as well for me. Oh yeah, we could put things right, yeah, and that we wouldn't be in. You know, the problem was we were both really young when we married. Right. We were both a bit damaged by some physical abuse and emotional abuse when we were growing up, right. and neither of us had the bandwidth to take care of each other, you right. know, and right. to deal with each other's shit. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's exactly right. And, and I know that's an excuse that a lot of people give, but my parents were the same thing. My mom was 17, you know, my, my dad was 18. Yeah. And, and they, they're babies. They're trying to escape, you know, families that were a little yeah. dysfunctional and they thought we'll create our own family. And they, you know, and then at 20, 22, when your brain fuses, you start going, what the heck? This is not going to work. It's not good. And nothing evil was done. Not, nobody was doing anything, but it was just like, yeah, this isn't going to work, you know? And, and I'm so glad my mom did get a divorce. You know, she married a beautiful British man, by the way. And, yeah, and he, go. he got the same thing though. He got the, oh, please don't marry that divorcee with two children, please. Yeah. You know, and he got the same thing. And, 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 and he was a lot like, um, he sounds a lot like Jim. He was, um, he joined the church for his family. My wife and, and my two stepchildren are joining the church. I guess I'll join the church too. And I'll quit smoking because they want me to. And I'll stop drinking because they want me to, but I don't believe it. And we didn't know that he didn't have a testimony until 50 years, you know, after he wow, joined, nice. he, he had some kind of a spiritual experience, but he went along. He just went along to get along. Uh, I think a lot of that's his English her heritage where you just don't create a lot of controversy and contention. And, uh, and uh, they had friends. It's fine. It's great. It's community. You know, Jim is, Jim is a, a member from the beginning, like yeah. he goes back from the beginning, right? Yeah. And he's, he is Canadian. His mom is from Provo. See, that's a built in though. He's Canadian. So that's yeah. a nice, that's a nice culture too. So these but you know what happened? We're in Alberta, right? Uh-huh. We're in Alberta. Well, you know what Alberta is, is little Utah. Yeah, absolutely. All the polygamists and all the people that wanted to come up and get some land away from it came up here. Yeah. I'm not saying that everybody that moved to um, southern Alberta were polygamists. They weren't. But it was at that time right. when people were traveling, going to Mexico, going to exactly. Arizona, all over. And um, so his he was raised in southern Alberta. And his and his mum was from Utah, and his dad too. I mean, his uh, his grandfather, you mm -hmm. know, his mum's dad, right. and all the way back. Jim is um, related to the LeBarons. Oh wow! He's related to Joseph Smith. He's related to Brigham Young. If you if, every time I'm doing uh, family research on Jim's line, or every time I see a name in church history, I check it on the family search site because there's a relationship thing there. You can yeah. click relationship to see how you're related. Jim, 95% yeah. of the time he's yeah. related, right? And so, so that, that's not so fair. His, yeah. His genealogy is really hard to do. It's already been done practically. Go back a couple generations and ta-da, you're all done. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and and he had ancestors that came over on the Mayflower too. Oh, and, and so those people, it ended yeah. up joining the church because they were 
nonconformists in Britain, the ones that True. came over here, True. Yeah. It made it easier for them to join the Mormon church, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so then they, they went west with the saints, and then the missionaries went to uh, Britain again and brought over people that were actually related to them. Yeah, yeah. Well, and so there's a huge connection in yeah, there. Huge circle. Related to just about all of Utah. Yeah, that's so funny. That's so funny. Okay, so let's get back to um so now you're the you're the convert and Jim's the nice guy. And um you were married for a hundred years. You go on a mission, that's how devoted you are. Your children are active in the church, except for at what, how old was your son when he started going way, way, It way. wasn't until we were back from our mission that anybody left the church. Okay. We've been on our mission by that And time. did you and Jim have children or was it just the three that you had from your previous marriage? We, we had, um, I had the three from my previous marriage and Jim adopted them. Okay. And then we adopted two together. Oh. Uh, each one of them was five weeks old when we got oh. them. And they're, they're um, native Canadian kids. Well, some, my, my son is just about 100%. Ah. And my daughter is about half. Her, her biological dad was from Denmark. Oh, my so, gosh. So she's a little Viking. She's ah. a name. <laughs> she's going to pillage. I'm going to pillage and destroy. <laughs> That's, That's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, my, uh, and, and her brother, my... my um, uh, Lamanite son. Ah, okay. Yeah, my Lamanite son. That's what I thought. And I tried to encourage them yeah. to accept that heritage. Yeah. You know, rather than accept your heritage of being an Indian, yeah. it was accept your heritage of being a Lamanite. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, the other kids at um, church didn't um, accept them. The same way that they, you know, the boys didn't want to date Vicky. And she's gorgeous. She's a beautiful girl. And the, the boys didn't want to ask her out um, because she was. Because they're going to mix, mix the races. Well, I don't know. I think people look down on um, the Indian people in yeah. Canada um, like they look down on the uh, black people in the U.S. Yeah, yeah. I don't think we look down on black people in Canada. Oh, but they, they still do look down on Indians. Interesting. So out of all those five, where are they all now? As far as membership goes. Um, all out. All out. All and, out. Wow. Except for my husband. Yeah. yeah. And my sister and her husband and family, um, I sent the missionaries to them. And they're still active in the church uh, my sister lives in England still, okay. and she and her husband are active, and her kids are active. Interesting. Um, but but my children have all left, and I think every grandchild has left. Wow. So yeah. so you go on your mission. What, what would you, where tell me where your shelf was starting to go crash? Okay. So okay. you're on your mission. You're you're believing. You're serving, and then what? No, not, exa not exactly. Okay. <laughs> it was, we arrived on the 6th of April, I think it was, and it was conference weekend. Happy right? church birthday. Yes. Happy yeah. Jesus birthday. Yeah. That's right. It was conference weekend. And so, so that was a Saturday when we arrived. We had just spent 32 hours traveling and 
they don't they don't put you in business class when they buy your fare. <laughs> you go you go yeah. economy class, right? Yeah. And so yeah. I was just bushed. And so the mission president says, take a two hour nap, no more. And tonight we're going over to sister so-and-so <gasps> for dinner. And then we're going to conference broadcast. And I'm like, okay, you know, you've got to go obey your mission president. Oh, right? yeah. Yeah. So we go, we go to the conference and we went in a car. It was somebody else. But when it was time to go home, because we were staying in the mission home still, um, the mission president said, we'll come in the mission van. It's called a combi in South Africa. Those passenger vans are combis. Okay. So come in the combi with us because you're coming back to the mission home. So we said, okay. And we were in a terrible accident on the oh. way home. No. Um, somebody came over into our lane and hit us. So we rolled <gasps> and um, Jim's neck was broken. <gasps> oh my yeah. gosh. And I, I had umpteen bones broken and a big gash on my forehead going into my hair. And it knocked out my memory. Like I, <gasps> I didn't even remember the accident. I don't, I remember being in a lot of pain on the top of my leg and think, thinking, I, I'm really hurting, but I didn't remember the accident. And I and I just said, Jim, Jim. And he, he I heard his voice and I said, the seatbelt. And it was holding me. So I was tipped over like this, like double, oh. hanging by the seatbelt around my hips. I've still got a really big groove there. It's been ages, but I've still got a really big groove in it because it moved all the fat oh my into God several places so i've got a gorgeous leg i won't show it oh, darn um, okay no <laughs> <laughs> um and uh anyway so we ended up in the hospital they took jim not on the spine board they didn't know his neck was broken oh my he wasn't on the spine board but he went off in an ambulance i just don't remember it you know i, I know because they told me right but it's not in here right and um the things that i remember is uh, somebody touching me and I said, have we been in an accident? And he said, yeah. And I said, my wrist is broken. And he said, I know I'm a paramedic. That's the only bit I remember from that. And they cut me out of the back of the vehicle. And um, I don't remember that either. I just remember being wheeled down this corridor that had like breeze block walls, um, you know, not, painted or anything and I thought I'm in a morgue <gasps> I thought I was dead yeah that they were wheeling my body into the morgue because I had no memory of what had happened yeah and and so um when they wheeled me into a room and I called out Jim and he said I'll, I'll come in in a minute or something like that and when his face appeared I looked at him and he had two black eyes and there was blood and I said, were we in an accident? And he said, yeah, we were. And then, then these people were like dabbing my forehead and I'd see all this blood and then they come back with a clean one and I would see all the blood. And um, so, so it was a terrible beginning. It was an right. accident, just the second day there. And so we spent the first week in the hospital. I had to have surgery the next morning on my left wrist and they had to plate it together. And um, I, so as they, when they woke me up to take me down there, because I was really sedated, um, I said to Jim, how are you doing? Are you okay? 
And he said, my neck really hurts. And I said, did they x-ray it? And he said, no. (gasps) You need your neck x-rayed. And I'm saying to the people, he needs his his neck x-rayed. I used to be a first aid instructor. So here I am doing my thing saying, "You you need to check his neck. He didn't come in on the spine, but I'm just gabbing on like this as they take me down for this surgery. And when I come back, he's in a collar. Oh. And he said his neck was broken. So, yeah, it was, it was very, very traumatic. So my thoughts towards God and the church were like, well, why did God let this happen to me? But mm-hmm. magical thinking and previous yeah. teachings, it happened for a reason, right? Oh, yes. Everything happens for a reason. And, and if, if you're not being persecuted and victimized, then you're not valiant enough. So, yeah. Just, yeah. So, so, I mean, it makes you feel in a way. No, not really. I could, No, that's not true to say that in a way more special. But it just. It just lets you know that God is there and he's not necessarily going to take care of everything for you. And I'm like, why not? Yeah. I'm a missionary. Yeah, you promised all kinds of things. You know, if you're older and you go on a mission, God will take care of your family and you'll, you'll, take care of you'll be blessed and yeah. all that. Stuff. Why yeah. did this happen on the second yeah. day? This, this yeah. just didn't make any sense to me. So I put it on the back burner a little bit. And then my mission president wasn't very kind. It was very helpful. He was in the vehicle and so were the APs. So they were driving the APs. So, so the mission president was injured too and his wife, but not, not super badly. They didn't have the injuries that we have. We were in the back and I think the somersaulting just, it was just worse. The air conditioning unit came off the top on the roof and uh, the ceiling and, and it grated Jim's head Mm. like so all, all of this was all bleeding on here and he had a cut and a cut and anyway it, it was traumatic and I didn't know why God had done it and I wanted to find out why he had let that happen and I never did find out why it happened and then on July 4th my daughter Kelly uh, called me and said um, well when we left we knew that Mark her husband had cancer very oh. very serious cancer and um I thought that if I was faithful to God, that Mark's blessings would happen because they promised him he would live. And I didn't believe it. Mm. I didn't believe that he would live. Mm. And and so I thought, well, if I go on a mission and show God I'm going to trust him, and then the, the, the the second day we have an accident, and then on July 4th, Kelly phoned me and she said, my sweetheart got his freedom today. So, so there again, and this is the this is the gaslighting that we were talking about. In order to talk you into leaving your family and leaving your daughter, whose husband has been diagnosed with terminal cancer, in order to get you to go ahead and go on a mission, they tell you your family will be blessed, everyone, everything will go so much better, and so you're like, yes, I will leave my family and go serve the Lord, and then then the Lord will take care of my family while I'm gone. That's the gaslighting. That's what you're told. So here you are in South Africa. You can't even be there for your daughter. No, no. And I had just had a, another surgery, another operation, because my collarbone had been broken and it, mm-hmm. it wouldn't knit together. Mm-hmm. So they had to plate that together. And I had just had it done on June 29th. 
and this was just July 4th. Right. I could not carry things. And no. Like that. And yeah. it was a changeover with the mission president. They change around oh, that time of year. Yeah. So the new one was coming in. And um, so it just seemed impossible. It seemed like an impossible task. And where would we stay? Because no, none of my kids have big houses or anything right. that we right. could see. We had rented out our place while we were gone. And so it's uh, like, well, man, we're just going to be so difficult for our family. If we go, we're going to make it harder because yeah. we're not well. Right. You know, we, we're, yeah. we're just not well enough to do this. Yeah. So we didn't go home. And the mission president said, if you go home, you won't come back to South Africa. They won't send you back here. And remember, I believed that God wanted me to go right. to Africa. Right. And so I'm like, well... So what am I going to do? Am I going to argue with God over this one? Maybe this is a test to see if I really want to be there. Right, right. Yeah. I, I, I just did everything I could to, to maintain some semblance of belief. And then I was the secretary in the mission office, and my husband was the um, office manager. Okay, so you were kind of doing an administrative type mission. Yeah, okay. yeah. And... Um, in, uh, it was my job as a secretary to welcome the new missionaries in and Jim would take them to the bank to set up their bank accounts. I would do all their paperwork before and after, send a letter off to their parents to say, you know, that they were here, safe, right. serving in, blah, blah, blah. It's a form letter. Right. You know, you don't know that when you get it. It's just a form letter. Yeah. yeah. So I'm the secretary and I'm, uh, looking at the, you know, the, the the letters that need to be sent, trying to remember all this stuff because my brain is not functioning properly right, right. because of the memory, you know. And um, so I said to the mission president, um, "My my kids didn't get a letter, you know." And he <sighs> said, "Oh well, write something up and I'll sign it." Because I said, I can't send the form letter that says they arrived safely and blah, 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 because we didn't. You know, this right. did not, this was not our beginning. This was really an awful beginning. And our kids knew we'd had it. So I couldn't send them that form letter. So he just said, I'll write something up and I'll sign it. So that's what I did. I wrote my own letter and, uh, you know. Your, your parents have arrived, and after a very hard beginning with the accident, they're settling down to, you know, made it all yeah. up. Right. And, um, and they only send it to the eldest in the family. So my oldest son would have received that letter. And uh, I didn't keep a copy or anything. like. I didn't think of it at the time because no. I didn't know I was going to be leaving the church later, right? You know, that's funny because I my parents served a couple of missions, I don't remember ever getting a letter up from for them. I don't. They must not do that for the the senior missionaries. I never got anything yeah. saying, "Hey, your parents have arrived." Although, interesting. Yeah. The oldest in the family. Um, I was the oldest member of the in the family. My older brother was excommunicated when he was um, like eighteen because he was living with his girlfriend. But so I was the the one on record. I would have been the oldest on record. So I don't remember ever getting a letter saying, Hey, your parents are here. I don't anyway, it doesn't matter. Oh well. Okay. So how long were you in South Africa totally then? And I know that you did some 
Um, and I know that your experience with the church versus the culture or not culture, but like there was something about the poverty that you saw there that was a little bit cracking on your shelf. So talk a little yeah. bit about that. Okay. So yeah, the, the, when you're driving home from the airport, you know, when we're all <laughs> tired and everything, um, you pass loads and loads and loads of shacks oh. and, and you see the smoke coming out. It's April. So it's getting cool by mm -hmm. this time, you know, because it's coming up for winter there. Um, and, um, so you see the smoke coming out of the chimneys and the shacks and the people going between and it's muddy because it's been wet and it just looks awful and it it wasn't it wasn't something that i knew to expect i don't know why but i just didn't even think that and i remember thinking oh man this is awful this people have to live like this and and you don't realize how fortunate you are till you go somewhere like that and you go man excuse me that would be so hard to live that way so but that was it for then and then i'm working in the mission office and we're assigned to a branch and that's in a township area called guguletu that's where that's where we went to serve and we got to know the people. And this is where I started to love it because I was getting to know the people. And mm. that's what I like. And that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to help people. Right. I wasn't helping people. The reason that we were called to the office is because of Jim's skills. Right. I didn't have those computer skills. Um, they And they train you for a week, but you don't learn enough in a week no. at the MT. No. You know, you're not I mean, you're learning all sorts of stuff there. And I didn't I didn't have that um, oh, Excel program down pat. And that was the one they used. Right. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was hard. Um, wh what was your question again? I kind of. Well, like, How long were you there? Uh, did you oh, yeah. complete the mission? And then did your shelf break on the mission? We, we uh, completed it. Didn't didn't break on the mission. I mean, because I kept piling the stuff on the shelf. Right. Right. Making right. Excuses for it. Oh, right. yeah, this is what I was going to tell you. So as my job was welcoming the new missionaries in, getting them set up, um, I in December, the missionaries came in and um, uh, I did all of that work. And two days later, one of those missionaries was killed in a car accident. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And um, that was that was just so sad. For us, he he just come in, just this fresh-faced missionary, and two days later he was dead, and his companion had broken legs, and wow. he had to get sent home. And the mission president, I mean, he wasn't the one at the time of the act, our accident, right. but still he knew we'd had it, right. sent us to take pictures of the accident site so so that um, they could have them for the insurance or whatever it was he needed it for. And so we went and it was it was super traumatic to see that that car had it looked like a fortune cookie. It had wrapped oh around my the gosh. like this. Yeah. And, you know, and I don't know the details, but you can you can imagine that this missionary received a blessing before he left talking about the people that he would you know bless their lives. He would bring into the gospel that the Lord would watch over him, that he would be safe. And it's, it's, you know, and then when it doesn't work out that way, then there's the other story. Well, you know, people will talk about, oh, he was so valiant that the Lord needed him. I mean, it's a, every time something happens, I, I get, I get a, 
I get a kick because I'm very cynical at this point in my life, but I have a friend that's a very, very religious Baptist and she posts things on Facebook all the time that have to do with God. And, and he, the other day, it was right during the Lori Daybell Vallow case. I don't know if you guys hear about that in Canada, but yeah. you know, it's like, God is always in charge. God is always there. And I'm like, well, I don't know about that because those two little babies were <laughs> tortured and killed and buried in Idaho. So I don't know where God was at that time. But, you know, so it's just this clueless cognitive dissonance that everybody just keeps trudging along. I don't know why that happened. He was told he would be a wonderful missionary, he would serve, you know, bring people into the gospel. And he was dead two days later. I don't know. But and uh, do they just keep on going. So and I know we, were you guys temple workers after you got home from your mission? Yes. OK, so now you're you're home from all of this. You're working in the temple. Um, we've got about 20 more minutes. So at where did you go, Jim? Bye bye. I'm out of here. What was what was that? Well, we went back to South Africa in the meantime, because oh. I just couldn't stand that we had done nothing to help the people. Yeah. We, yeah. We'd only, I worked in the office. I loved the people. I helped them to learn English. We played together. I took girls to our place and let them swim in the pool that was in the complex and uh, shopping. And I did their hair and played with them basically i loved the people and yeah. what kind of job does a branch president's wife have on a mission like that's what they did they called him to be branch president after the office because that new mission president said sister bodie i think we're it's like trying to put a square peg in a uh, round hole um you don't fit in the office you like being out with the people and i said yeah i do and he said, well, I'm going to send you to Port Elizabeth. And so I'm like, awesome. So I'll be with the people. I'll be helping to teach and all that stuff, right? I thought that was going to be great. And it, we were only there a week, I think it was, when he was called to be the branch president in this township called Kwanabukle. And so, so there we were now traveling uh, about half an hour, 40 minutes each way, to the chapel every day for him to uh, do his job. If if we had known that, we would have moved to a different town that was closer, but we didn't know then. We just thought we were gonna be like regular missionaries. Right. So, so um, because we'd done nothing to better the lives of people, nothing really tangible. Right, you know, right. They needed jobs. They, need, yeah. they needed an income. Right. And, and so um, after I got back, I just kept thinking about them and, you know, loving them and thinking they, they don't have what I have and this isn't fair. Why mm. isn't the church helping them? Mm. I had written umpteen emails to Johannesburg to, to say to the couple that does the perpetual education fund right. that they needed to come and teach that. There, because there were people that need to go to school. They need they need stuff, you know. But right. Nothing happened. So when we went back, I, I started harping on them again. And when we went back, I had we had raised money mostly from good members of the church. But you know, my son's band put a dance on, and you know, we just raised some money and went back with micro credit 
so that people could get a small loan from us to start a small business, hopefully to make it grow enough that they could pay the money back and then somebody else could get a loan and they right. could have a small business. Right. There was nothing in it for us. We had to, we bought our own tickets and we got the car that we had as missionaries. We contacted the office that takes care of that and we got our own car back the one that we drove on mission and this was a year and a half later so you you go back as civilians you're not missionaries yeah. you go back as civilians you are aware of the perpetual fund that the church has you're asking them you're telling them you know this would be a great place for you to do that they're like yeah don't call us we'll call you and so you kind of formed your own perpetual fund went back and served the people on your own and it's funny because I just, well, it's, it's been a few months, but I just read a whole article on the kind of the fallacy of the perpetual fund and how it really works and who it oh, really it's serves. Awful. It yeah. doesn't work. They only want to do it to people who can pay back. Right. Also, another thing, you have to start paying it back while you're still in school. How can um, you do that? You're poor yeah. already. You had to get a loan. You're in school. You've got to, you know, how can you do that? How can you right. start? back right. and if you don't pay back at all well what the hell you know yeah. they're a lot poorer than we are can't we fund them and all right. of that money that we have been paying to the church doesn't go to the people they put it they bank it and they only pay out from the interest right right That's all. they don't pay out from the principal it's only from the interest that they'll give a loan and it's yeah. usually the people who have a chance of paying it back Right. And there's they connections. Did, they, did come, they did come to Corner Boothley and they did do the course. I took it with the people in the class. I took the course and nobody got accepted for the loan. Oh, interesting. That's yeah. interesting. So what year is this now that you, like I said, and what again was the, um, what was the, what broke the shelf? Okay. Finally? So we, 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 we were there for six months. We came back. And it wasn't too long after that that my son said to me, Mom, I don't believe the church is true. And like, what? Yeah, yeah. And and uh, so, so I said, well, what's wrong with it? You know, and he starts telling me some things. And he, he was also talking about homosexuals and how awful it is for them. That He said, you know, I love my wife and I just don't think it's fair to say to somebody, you can never have that. Yeah. You can never have that because you don't love the right person, the right, right. gender, the right whatever. Right. You can't have what we have. Right. And you cannot be sealed to them. You can't be with them in eternity. And, and so th that was just one issue. But I argued that one with him. I argued it a lot. Um, it, but it was sinking in, nevertheless. I just right. didn't want him to win. I didn't want to let go of my beliefs. I, ju I just right. didn't want to. Well, you've sacrificed a lot. You've sacrificed yeah, a lot in your life. To, it's that sunk to... cost fallacy thing, isn't it? I put yeah. so much into it. Yeah. And, and so anyway, um, he, I invited him and his wife to come over and we talked about some of the issues and we just declared our love for each other and it didn't make any difference. We hugged and off they went. But occasionally I get a call from his wife and she'd say, Mom, Stuart's saying blah, 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 blah about the church. I, I'm phoning you for the church answer. 
And so I wouldn't have the church answer. So I go looking for it. And the more I looked, the more I found. And I started to get super depressed. Mm. I was so depressed. I said, Carrie, you're going to have to ask Jim or somebody else because I can't do this anymore. Oh. And by the time I was ready to leave, the depression felt so up oppressive. It was just terrible for me. And I, I remember, like, I wasn't getting up out of bed properly in the morning. I was in this old pink house coat, and I went into the bathroom, and it was getting close to noon. And I went, um, look at you. Look at you in the mirror, just how awful you look, just devastated. And the tears started to come, and I looked at me crying mm -hmm. in the mirror, and I went, look at you, you just, so I, I reached out and I got the toothpaste and I put it on my toothbrush and I went, why am I brushing my teeth? Like, I didn't even know why I was making decisions that I was making anymore because I was so confused about what was true and what wasn't true. What choices was I making? What choices were being made for me? Mm -hmm. And I went, no, I do this every day. I do this because I want to brush my teeth. This is my choice. And it was some time after that that I went, I can make the same choice about being in the church. You know, I can make this choice. Uh -huh. I can say I don't want it. But I didn't know how to tell my husband. And so we, we were going off. We were temple cleaning supervisors by this time. So it's the evening. We're going off to clean the temple. And um, he he said something, but I don't think you should go to the temple. Oh. And I said, why? And he said, well, because of the things you've been saying about the church, I don't think you should go to the temple. And I said, I'm not worthy to go to the temple. Okay, then I'm not worthy to wear these garments either. I took them off. I never went back to church. I, I was oh. done. Just like that. I was just done. It's like, yeah. okay, I'm, I'm not even worthy. And he didn't mean it that way. No. He was, wasn't being unkind to me he was saying for your own sake you know you don't have to go you you know and whatever and I'm like no it's because I'm unworthy to be there that's why he doesn't want me to be there I'm unworthy because I'm talking about the church in a negative way right right so that was um 2007 six seven wow <laughs> yeah and I had a friend in, in my ward. And she's in the film too, the documentary that you watched. Right. Michelle, the black girl. She's from the Caribbean. Oh, yes. Yeah. She's beautiful. Yeah. Isn't she gorgeous? Yeah. 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 We're really good friends. And um, so we left at roughly the same time. Um, I, so I 2007, I mean, that's before the 2015 uh you know proclamation oh, yeah. that's before the church essays were a big brouhaha that's before all of this internet accessibility is going on i mean you are you are in the beginning this is amazing yeah it was it was i, w I was known then because i spoke out so right. i became i became visible yeah, <laughs> visible. But I then, love you, Jean. That was perfect. That's young people take over from you because you know they're they're new and they're fired up and they want to say like Nemo. 
like he's he now he has so many good things to say and i love right. the way he does it and right. bill's younger and and yeah. you know all of these younger people john right. dean was already doing his thing when i left and what he had to say was helpful for me yeah and, but at 2007 he was still like trying to help the church yes come the big to, umbrella come the big to jesus yeah. yeah, he was still a member and still trying to be, uh, you know, and that's exactly the John Delenn that I found. Like I was, when I first started hearing all this brouhaha stuff and the CES letters, and I was like, I'm not going to do that, but I'll go back and listen to the early John Delenn where he was still a member. I'll do that. Yeah. And so, and so I listened to a couple of the people and they would say, well, I, I wrote this book, you know, he, he interviewed Greg Prince and I said, well, I'll read Greg Prince's book because he's yes. a member of the church and that's, that's safe. That's what I did first. Yeah. And then I read that book and I was like, what, say what? I have no idea what's going on here. And that, I mean, so I, again, everything came from church that let you know and like you were saying everything you've gone through you've given your life your brain your neck your body your physical body to to this organization and then for someone to just flippantly say oh they just left the church because they wanted to sin or they just left the church because it was too hard you know it's like at this point i mean you are you guys were like so 2007 this way you were in your 60s by this time, I was, all... I was 58. Yeah. Um, two weeks after we arrived in the mission. Yeah. 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 And I'm so 79 now. Yeah. So you're, you're in your early sixties when the, your shelf is breaking, you have given your life. You went from England to Canada. You're starting over You're you're changing. And for people just to think that you decided one day, it's like, you know what? I am just desperate for a glass of wine. I'm just going to throw this all out the window. I mean, that's so, it's so ridiculous. It's so ridiculous, you know, but um, so you, but your husband, he reminds me so much of my husband. Um, they just, a good man. oh, they're such good men and love yeah. you, love you. So in, you know, like you say, the thought of breaking up a marriage over something like the church does not even come into because it's like, ah, he loves me so much, you know, and I love him so much. And, but they are believers. They are believers. Now he is still active, but he's, he's, he's still young. He's only 69. So he's still young. They're still young. Yeah. But, you know, one of the things that I get a kick out of Gene, and I probably shouldn't say this out loud, but you and I seem to be cut from the same cloth. Um, people who, when they talk about living in a mixed faith marriage, I think that the members, the true believing members, they get a get out of church free card because they can say, well, you know, I'm just going to stay home with my wife today. And yeah. people are like, well, I can understand that. There is no way on heaven's earth that this man would have stayed home from church in times past. But now I can say, well, I would like to go out for dinner. It's Mother's Day. He's like, absolutely. You know, and I'm like, yeah, you're using me to have fun on Sundays, you know. <laughs> so so your so your husband is accepted you. It was hard at first. Probably the same thing as me, right? It was hard on him for now. He's going to church. Well, I couldn't myself. shut up either. That's what made me laugh when I heard you saying I yes. could not shut up. I know you're just sitting there and you're like, don't say it, don't say it. And then you're like, it's 60 time. minutes is gonna be on Sunday morning. We should watch it. You know, 
And you can't possibly know that the church is true, Jim. You only think you know. Yeah. You can't possibly know. Yeah. What about this? What about that? Yeah. When you think, what about the, the SEC investigation? What do you think about that? Well, yeah, yeah. Did, is your husband quite blasé about that? Oh yeah, he he yeah, read the whole. He yeah. didn't he didn't read the church's copy. He read the official SEC copy, and he still said that was wrong. That was wrong that they did that. And here's my tithing check. Yeah, I mean that's where you just go. I don't get it. When I first left the church, I remember saying to Jim, "Okay, you can't pay any more tithing on my half of our money." Because the wife is entitled. I don't know what it's like in America, but yeah. you're entitled to half of what you've got together, right? Whether yeah. you went to work or not, you know, yeah. when yeah. he goes to work and you're at home working, that money is half yours. And so yeah. I said, don't pay on my half. I don't want to pay tithing to the church. I don't want to pay the perpetual education fund because people don't get it. Yeah. I, I don't want to do this. That's before the SEC thing. Yeah. And then once that came out, I was like, oh my goodness, you know, like this, yeah. this is this is criminal. Yeah. It, and you know what I think also, and I don't know this for sure, but my mother lives in a retirement home. She lives, she can literally walk outside and see the South Jordan Temple from where she lives. Uh, everybody in that whole place is members of the church. They have general authorities that stop in to visit Aunt Ruby or whoever. And so they're, you know, they're just, you, you know, you could not not be a member of the church and live in this retirement place. And I think to myself, okay, you obviously, you know, there's probably a bus that picks all of you up and takes you to the South Jordan temple to do temple work and whatnot. She's on a fixed income. There is no income. You know, she's a widow. She has um, uh, a little bit of money from my dad's retirement. And um, she actually gets a little bit from the British government. And, um, and her social security, and that's it. it. It is stable, it is fixed, it is the same every month. And guess what? Because it's social security and it's insurance, it is money that has been tithed on. This money that she's getting has been tithed on. I find it hard, I don't know for sure, um, but I think she's paying tithing every month. She is re-tithing on money that has already been tithed on in order to keep her temple recommend current. Why doesn't the church come out and say, look, you don't pay tithing on Social Security. You you paid on your gross. You're already paid tithing on that. You don't pay money on an insurance policy. You paid for that insurance out of money that was already tithed on. You don't, you know, when you're 94 years old, you don't have to pay tithing anymore. Why doesn't the church come out and say that? So that these people can have their temple recommends and can, you know, so, but they don't, they just keep quiet and let these words. Why don't, why don't they say to everybody, you don't need to pay tithing anymore? Well, there's that too. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, yes, there's that. Yeah, absolutely. Not just the little old ladies, but yeah. everybody, young people raising families. You yeah. Know, when, when I lived, I, I told you I lived in Connecticut first. I was yeah. with my first husband's family, right? In Connecticut. And um, he was sending me thirty dollars um, a month and I paid three dollars tithing I had to pay my mother-in-law twenty five dollars to stay there you know for food and stuff like that yeah. I had two dollars left a month for me that was it and I was faithful and I did it and then when when I when I left my first husband and I came to Edmonton and I was a single mom I I babysat 
children so that I could have an income to pay tithing on because I didn't think you should pay it on welfare because that's what I got when I first came. Right. Was, was welfare, not from the church, but from the government. Right. 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 And um, so I was, I was babysitting and that was illegal to babysit and get money. Oh yeah. Right. While you're getting it from the government. But I got such a little bit, so I wasn't paying a lot, but it's the bloody widow's might, isn't it? Exactly. It Absolutely. How much you're paying. It's the fact that you pay 10%. And my 10% when I lived in Connecticut was huge. Absolutely. If you're living on $2, you gave $3 to a, you know, I don't know what it was back in those days, but right now, you know, $200 billion. I think we're good. I think we're good. I yeah. think so too. I think they can manage. Yeah. Well, Jean, you have been such a delight and maybe we'll meet in Utah someday. Maybe we'll, you come down, I'll go up and we'll meet in the in the center so that we can meet in person. But I just love what you've contributed. And, and I love that you reached out and that we found each other. And like I said, I just, and I love that you and I made that same connection with, with truth is truth. And, and it, you know, when you find out the truth, there is no, I mean, I did, I did. Oh, well, for so many years. Oh, well, oh, well, that doesn't seem right, but oh, well, and eh, who's it hurting? This is great. It's, everything's good, but oh, well. And at some point you go, Ella, you know, and you just say, I can't do this anymore. And, and that's how I was actually with the, um, the, the black issue, the racial issue in the church. Yeah, right. I was like, I didn't like it, but I was like, oh, well, you know, who am I to argue with God? Yeah, exactly. You know? Like, yeah, exactly. Oh, oh, well, sort of thing. But I was so glad when that changed. Yeah. I was so glad because I don't feel racial prejudice. And I'm one of those people who will say to somebody that obviously has a different racial background. Oh, where are you from? Where are your yeah. origins? And yeah. I want to know. It's not because I'm looking down on them. I just love other people. And I want to talk to them and exactly. find out all about them, you know? Well, like they say, I, I heard a, a saying the other day, and I can't figure out, so I'm going to start claiming it as my own. But they said, um, policies change when it becomes personal. And because, I saw that too. yeah, and one of the things that, that, that I heard Nemo point out too is the idea that um, these policies just came from a revelation when actually they were cultural pressures that were being put on the church. And when you say that to people, they don't accept that. But, you know, we could, ex we could look as white privileged middle-class people, we could look at the exclusion policy for both the blacks and the gays and lesbians. We could look at that and go, oh, well, because it didn't affect us personally. That's right. That's and, right. And that's the part that I'm ashamed of that, or when you hear people say, well, uh, that bishop that's molesting those little girls, that that's never happened. I've never known anybody that did that. Therefore, it didn't happen. Or it's rare. Or it can't be true. And so all of these things that aren't personal or that you don't have a experience in, to fluff it off is not possible or uh, is just the probably the scare. It's scary. It's actually scary when people can use that as a, and that's what racism is all about. It doesn't affect you. So therefore it isn't true. So anyway, but well, I got to let you go and pour Jim back from his walk yet. 
No, he isn't. He probably stays away a long time because he knows what a talker I am. <laughs> he knows. Well, Jean was probably got about another hour. I'll walk around the block one more time. <laughs> well, thank you so much, and I'm sure we'll meet again. And and uh, I hope so. Yeah, it was lovely, and I, I'm so I'm so thrilled that we found each other. And and uh, hey, I got another silver sister I can talk to. That's rare. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for being visible and sharing your story today. Thanks, Renee. All right. Bye-bye. Yeah. Bye-bye. Oh, my gosh. Wasn't that amazing? I I cannot tell you how much I love this woman. And, you know, I, I think I found my sister from another mister because, you know, her and I both have the, uh, you know, nobody ever wonders. I used to teach Relief Society. And if there was any kind of a family, well, there were no family secrets. I, I shared everything, way too much information. I'm definitely a TMI type person, too much information. Um, but I love that. I think that's just true about women. That's what I love about women. And I love that this is a women broadcast and we talk to women and, and uh, we get our voices out because we're like our own little beauty shop, right? We're going to share everything and much to our husbands and children's dismay because we're going to share everything. So anyway, thank you so much for joining me today. Please don't forget to donate. She became visible.org. You can make a small donation. And if you'd like to, uh, make a monthly donation and make it a, a year round thing. That would be great. I'm sure that Mormon Discussions Incorporated would appreciate that. So you can find us on Facebook. You can find us on YouTube. You can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts. So thank you so much for joining us today. And we will, ah, I have to let you know, you will not be seeing me next Monday because next Monday I am going to be in Berlin, Germany. My husband and I are going on a little vacay. So I will not be here for the next two weeks. I'll be vacationing in beautiful Europe, and I'm very excited to do that. So anyway, but we'll be back in June. I have Dr. Um, uh, have any of you, do any of you follow Dr. Amen and his beautiful wife, uh, Tana? I'm going to have her on. I have another guest that I'm trying to wrangle in. Uh, we're going to be talking about health and, and your brain and all kinds of things that aren't necessarily LDS, but just um, women, uh, about women and about our health and, and how we can age uh, and have longevity. And I mean, it's one thing to age, but it's one thing to be aging with a good longevity program. So that's what we're going to be talking about. So anyway, all right. Well, thank you again. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for joining me today on She Became Visible. Join me each week as my guests and I explore the path of womanhood and tell all our stories. We'll talk about finding the courage to be ourselves and motivate each other to be everything that we're capable of and meant to be, no matter what happens around us. Please like, share, and subscribe. And don't forget to donate at She Became Visible.